Cornerstone, how you doing? Man, super glad you're here. Uh, second week uh, in a series that we're calling Spoiler Alert. And what we're actually doing for the next few weeks is we're unpacking uh, what the Bible says in the book of Revelation about what's going to happen uh, in the future. And the reason that we call it Spoiler Alert is because no matter how dark it gets, uh, no matter what the score is on the scoreboard or how often it feels like evil is winning the day, Scripture has already told us, Jesus already told us, we win in the end. So, yeah, just like somebody who comes to you and tells you the score of the game when you T-vote it, I don't care what happens while you watch, we win uh, in the end. Somehow it gets pulled out. And so that really is the story of the book of Revelation. Let's be honest. Revelation can be super, super intimidating. Matter of fact, there's a whole bunch of Christians who just, when they're doing their daily devotions, just avoid uh, ever doing the book of Revelation because let's just be honest, it's weird, okay? It's weird. There's, there's creatures that have got seven heads. There's locusts flying up out of a pit. There's harlots. It's, it's weird in the book of Revelation. Let, let me see if I can uh, unpack that for you a moment as to why it seems to be a little bit strange and have tons of symbolism. You got to remember that John, living 2,000 years ago, is allowed to see what's happening in the future. And think about him trying to figure out the words to describe things like airplanes or nuclear missiles that, I mean, he, he would have no perspective, no words that he would know, nor that the people he was trying to tell would know. And hence you end up with a lot of, well, there was this long thing and it flew and you get into all sorts of descriptions that just seem uh, very strange. Think about this, if, what he was trying to tackle. Imagine if you were sent back 200 years. So now, so now you're, you're pre-Civil War and you're trying to describe to somebody who rides a horse every day, who cooks their meals on a wood stove, Help them understand the internet. And you go, wow. I mean, that, that, would you even have the words? Would, you, would, would they even have the right language to grasp what you were just, there's a box and you sit in front of it and people are inside and it gives you all the answers to life. How, how would you do that? If that's not hard enough, try describing TikToks to a 60-year-old. <laughs> It's it, right? So you understand that there's a huge, vast challenge in the language, in the technology, so you end up with all sorts of symbolism. Here's the good news, that you and I probably are able to understand and grasp and with some reasonable amount of accuracy, uh, unpack about 70% of the book of Revelation. A uh, part of that is because there's actually chapters that tell us this is what that is and what it's talking about. There's about 30% that you and I have to sit right now and just go, I'm guessing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that beast is. I don't know what that thing is on about 30%. But here's what I can tell you with absolute, absolute confidence. When those events begin to happen, 
you and I will see them with absolute clarity, whether we're in heaven or what, we'll just go, wow, that's exactly what scripture described. That's exactly what, and it's to the letter what he said was gonna happen. And so you and I can go through the book of Revelation and go, I, I, don't, I don't get it, I'm not sure what that is, but I do know this, that God does not make mistakes, it will be exactly uh, as he said. So here's the thing, we're gonna jump in again today. Uh, I wanna encourage you to consider uh, taking notes. We said to you, this series is a little more teach than it is preach. So if you're here for the first time and you go, man, I did not like that style at all, it's okay. In a couple of weeks, we'll be back to being cornerstone again, okay? It'll be fine. Uh, but uh, if you uh, got a weekly, you should have a note card in there that you can take notes. Uh, you'll notice on this week's note card, there are no fill in the blanks. Uh, that's because the horrible teacher last week uh, missed about half the blanks. Um, don't know who that was. Um, so we just left it there. You can fill it in as you go. If you need one of these and don't have one, my guess is you're gonna want notes because at some point someone's gonna ask you a question. You're gonna say, oh, I remember, and what was that passage? And you're gonna be able to pull this out, go, oh, that, that's, that's what we said together. So if you want some of these, raise your hand real quick. The ushers will hand you one. You can have one. You can take some notes uh, for future reference. All right, so here's what we're gonna do today. If you were here last week, we talked about this thing called the rapture. And what we said is, the rapture is a moment in which every believer, everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, everyone that we would say is the church, will be instantaneously, as a matter of fact, the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, before you can even see what's happening, will be caught up into heaven. It is the next big event, and then immediately, the things that are described in the book of Revelation, the tribulation period, seven years of just unbelievable things unfolding here on earth will begin to happen. Here's what you need to know. Biblically, prophetically, there is absolutely nothing that still needs to be fulfilled. There's nothing that needs to happen before the rapture, which simply means this. The rapture is imminent. In other words, it could happen at any possible moment. When that sinks in, when you begin to get a hold of that, the idea that Jesus could come back tomorrow, you'll live today better. Because you're going to say, look, if he's coming back, I, I want to be doing the right thing. I want to be living the right way. I want, I want my life to be something that he would be proud of when he comes back, and when you begin to realize Jesus could come back at any moment, it'll change how you live your life now. Matter of fact, scripture says exactly that. It says, everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves, lives better, lives more thoughtfully if they understand that Jesus can come back at any moment. Next week, we're gonna dive right into all things Revelation. But before we get there, I wanted us to take a moment and just talk about the fact that although the Bible is describing things that haven't happened yet, you and I can read them and study them with absolute confidence because when it comes to Scripture and when it comes to prophecy, everything God describes will come 100% true. That, that we can do this with confidence, we can do this without hesitation, as strange as it may seem, and go, I, I, I don't know if I understand, but I know that, that thing will happen. 
So let's unpack biblical prophecy together a little bit today, and next week we'll dive into all things Revelation. All right, so here's my question as we begin. How accurate does prophecy have to be? So someone says, hey, I've heard from God. I know something that's going to... How accurate does prophecy have to be before you and I take notice and go, oh, wow, that's really intriguing, really interesting. And here's why I ask that question. Because our culture uh, seems to be intrigued with a guy by the name of Nostradamus. Uh, Nostradamus lived in about the 1500s, and he was a self-proclaimed prophet. He said, hey, look, I, I've been given this insight. I know some things that are going to happen. He wrote them uh, all down. And you can, if you just Google, there, there are all sorts of people go, oh, Nostradamus talked about COVID. Here's what you need to know about Nostradamus, this, this guy who has all sorts of attention. Let me tell you why he has attention. Because his success rate, in other words, the accuracy with which he predicted things is higher than almost anyone else that you can point to identify who said, hey, I'm a prophet. I, I know these things outside of scripture. He seems to get things right an awful lot. Now, here's what you need to know about his predictions. They are absolutely generic and they are ambiguous. In other words, they're, they're just so broad in their statements that you go, well, of course the sun's going to rise. I mean, you didn't have, right? They're just so general that you go, well, at some point, something had to be like that. I don't know that you're predicting the future. I think you're guessing. So let, let me give you some examples right from Nostradamus about predictions he made. So this is one of them. Uh, within two cities, this is a quote, Within two cities, there will be scourges, the like of which have never been seen before. And you go, well, yeah, I guess like in all of human history, there would probably be two cities that had a really hard time. But followers of Nostradamus, students of Nostradamus say, well, this is obviously Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That, that's what it has to be on the deal. Here, let, let me give you another one. Again, quoting Nostradamus. From on high, evil will fall on the great man. Okay. And again, followers are people who say, wow, this guy, they claim that has to be John F. Kennedy. And you realize how vague that is. You realize how generic that is. That's kind of like what you get from a fortune cookie. Hey, you, you have more friends than you know. And then you drive through McDonald's and the girl in McDonald's says, oh, it's nice to see you again. You go, wow, it came true. I have more friends than I realized. Even if you give Nostradamus, remember the guy who gets more things right than most to predict. If you, if you give him credit for all of his vague prophecies, for all of his generic things, Guess what percentage he gets right? Nine percent. I don't know about you. I'm not going to go to a mechanic who gets his prediction wrong 91 percent of the time. And yet, our world, right? People are intrigued by this guy. 
91% of the time he's wrong. What is the scriptures? What is the Bible's self-imposed standard for how often prophecy ought to be true? One hundred percent. See, Scripture just says, "Hey, if anybody ever says, hey, I, I've spoken to God or God has spoken to me and He's told me what's going to happen,' Scripture says, whatever that person who claims to have heard has to be right one hundred percent of the time in one hundred percent of the detail, so that when you hear it, you can have absolute confidence that it's going to happen the way it says." As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, open them up with me. Because you'll see this moment in which scripture just says, hey, this is, this is how accurate. It's, it's Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you're not familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's jump down to verse 22 first. Here's what it says. What if a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place? And everybody says, hey, I know this, and God told me this, and then some part of it, some piece of it doesn't happen. You know, maybe a part was true, but the other wasn't true. And what what does it mean when it's not 100% true? Doesn't take place or come true. That is a message the Lord has not spoken. He says, look, if if it's not 100% true, it is not from God period. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be alarmed. Don't be worried about anything they say. Don't take it to heart. Just dismiss it because if it doesn't come 100% true, then it can't be from God. The self-imposed standard of scripture for prophecy is 100% accuracy. And if you think the Bible may be a little soft on this or, you know, maybe jump up two verses, jump up to verse 20. Here's what it says you do to a prophet who claims to speak in the name of the Lord and doesn't tell you 100%. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, verse 20, anything that I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. So you get the standard. You either get it 100% right, you don't get a second try. Because the self-imposed standard of biblical prophecy is it must be 100% right. So that when you and I read scripture, when we read prophecy, we can read that with confidence that says God's standard is that every single piece is accurate and true. Little side note. This is the reason that you and I as Christ followers don't go to mediums. Uh, we, we don't check our horoscopes. Uh, we, we don't go to palm readers because they aren't 100% accurate, which scripture then says immediately, then they aren't of God. They can't be because the self-imposed standard of scripture is 100% accuracy. And the fact that they aren't means God has not spoken to them. Their faults, which leaves you and I with only two conclusions about people that say, hey, you know, I talked to the dead and here's what they told me about your tricycle. 
Hey, I, hey I, I can read your palm, and based on the lines of your palm, I can tell you your... And here's what it says. Because they're not from God, because they can't be from God, because they're not... There's only two answers. One is they're just fake. In other words, they're an awful lot like Nostradamus. They're making general claims that are so ambiguous that, oh, okay, they sort of seem to be sometimes happening. They're just, they're just guessers. Or number two, which is far more dark. If, if they actually have accuracy at some level, if they can actually predict the future in some level, you go, boy, that, that's, that's not just good guessing. They're getting information somehow. And scripture says that's not God. Then you get one other option. That it's satanic. Which is why you and I who are followers of Christ have no business talking to mediums or reading our horoscopes or going to, because it's not God. It's something else. It's either fake or it's of Satan. So stay away, stay away, stay away. All right. Let me give you some Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus 100% accurately. Here's why that's a big deal for you and I to talk about when we start thinking about the book of Revelation. Because when those prophecies were given in the Old Testament and they talked about this Messiah who would come to earth and take away our sins, you realize all those verses seem just as confusing. They seem just as strange back then to them because none of it had happened yet. As the book of Revelation feels strange and confusing to us. Does that make sense? They hadn't seen it. They didn't understand it. They just knew God had said it. And then in Jesus, they were fulfilled perfectly. And when we see what God has done in the past, it gives you and I a confidence for what he's going to do in the future. Okay, so let's look at some of those Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Grab your Bible and go with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And if you're not familiar, if you just open your Bible to the middle, start working uh, to the right, uh, you're going to find this book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah 53. All right, let me explain to you why this is a big deal. Isaiah, Isaiah lives 700 years before Jesus. And he's going to make some prophecies 700 years before Jesus ever lives that are so specific they can't be about anybody but Jesus, which makes them absolutely remarkable. So here we go. It's Isaiah 53. Let me read it to you, and then we'll unpack it together. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. 
Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced. If you've got a pencil, circle that word, pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we've been healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We, each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Circle that phrase, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of this generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, he died. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Circle that phrase, rich. Though he had done no violence and any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And through the, and, and through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. Now, here's why this is a big deal. Because critics of the Bible for years and years and years looked at Isaiah 53 and said, it's absolutely impossible that Isaiah living 700 years before Jesus could make that kind of prophecy. First off, it talks about the idea that he's pierced, talking about his crucifixion. Here's the deal. Crucifixion is not invented until 400 years after Isaiah. So how in the world would Isaiah be able to describe that Jesus would be pierced for our sins, crucified for our sins, when crucifixion isn't invented for 400 more years? And they said it's just so obvious that what happened here is Christians after the death of Jesus wrote this passage and then went back and stuck it on the book of Isaiah as if to prove that Jesus was who he was, said he was. He said it doesn't stop there. This idea about a man being the substitute for our sin. He said, look, look, that, that is an absolutely New Testament idea. Old Testament people were sacrificing lambs. The idea that a man would take our sin away and not a lamb. Old Testament people would have never thought of that. So how did Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus, carrying our sins? How did he do? It's a New Testament idea. It's absolutely impossible. And then what about the power of the passage that said, and he'll stay silent when he's being falsely accused? How would Isaiah have never known that? You had to have seen the trial. And then that he's buried in a rich man's tomb. And so the critics of scripture for years and years and years through this rock and just said, this is it is so obvious that scripture's a fraud, that prophecy's not true, and that Christians wrote this and then stuck it on the book of Isaiah. And for years and years and years, Christians had no answer. Until 1947. In 1947, a young Bedouin boy is herding his goats in an area called Quran. 
which is right outside of kind of the Dead Sea area. Matter of fact, I think we've got a picture of it. Uh, this is that area of Karam. Uh, it, it, it makes Arizona look like a lush rainforest. Uh, most dry, most arid uh, place you'd ever want to. And it's filled with these hills. I mean, everywhere these hills. And then there's all sorts of little caves and nooks uh, all over uh, this entire area. So one day, this little Bedouin boy, he's herding his goats. One of the goats goes to the top of one of the hills. He doesn't want to have to go up that steep hill and get the goat. So instead, he picks up a rock. He throws it at the goat in order to shoo the goat down the hill. He misses the goat. The rock goes into one of the caves, and he hears something break. He goes into the cave and finds a rather large jar. Inside the jar is Scripture. When they take the papyrus, they take the, the, the scriptures written on, they take it to scientists and ask them to date it. It was written 300 years before Jesus. On that papyrus, oh, by the way, book of Isaiah, including chapter 53 that describes Jesus being crucified, that talks about him being the substitute for our sin, that talks about him being buried in a rich man's grave, that talks about him being silent at his trial. And here's what I'm gonna say to you. That's impossible. The critics had it right. It's absolutely impossible that any man could have guessed that. And what you and I read when we read Isaiah chapter 53 is literally the fingerprint of God on scripture, because he's the only one that could have told us that with 100% accuracy. It's why you and I can have absolute confidence when we read what's still to come, because Old Testament believers reading about Jesus could have 100% confidence in what God told them back then. Let me give you another one. Let me see if this helps. There was a statistician by the name of Peter Stoner so you know what statisticians are, right? They figure out odds. So he decides to figure out what are the odds that somebody would just accidentally be born and fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. What are the odds that someone just, you know, who isn't, you're just randomly born and would fulfill the prophecies? There are actually 53 Old Testament prophecies, different ones, about the life and the death of Jesus. Peter Stoner took eight. Part of why he took eight is because some of those prophecies would be impossible to figure out the odds. For instance, the Old Testament said that Jesus would be born of a virgin. What are the odds of that? And even if you tried to guess or calculate it, you'd have skeptics who said, well, we don't even believe Jesus was born of a virgin, so it doesn't count, right? Peter Stoner took eight of the simplest, most irrefutable prophecies about Jesus. Matter of fact, one of them he took was simply this. The Bible says that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. All you've got to do how many people have ever lived? How many of those people were actually born in Bethlehem? Divide it, you end up with the odds. It's one in whatever that number comes out to be. He took eight. Eight of the most irrefutable, simple to calculate odds. 
Here's the number that Peter Stoner came up with on the odds that somebody would accidentally be born and fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. 10 to the 17th power. Now here's why you're not going, because oh, you're not a mathematician. So let me draw this for you. 10 to the 17th power. is that number, that number to one, that someone would accidentally be born. By the way, that number is 700 times greater than our national debt. You're still not impressed. All right, let me see if I can help. Here's the odds of accidentally getting that right. The Bible accidentally gets eight prophecies about Jesus right. Take the state of Texas. Cover it in silver dollars, two feet deep. Paint one of them red. Ask somebody to find the one red one with a blindfold. Now, you understand how big Texas is, right? Have you ever driven across Texas? It's horrifying. The only people who drive across Texas are people who've done something really, really bad and need to pay penance. It's, it's huge. Two feet deep. Silver dollars. And now we're going to blindfold Jesus. We're going to put him in a helicopter. We're going to tell him that somewhere in the state of Texas, there's one red silver dollar. So Jesus, as we fly along, you tell us with your blindfold on, where do we land? Keeping your blindfold on, you're going to get out of the helicopter, walk to wherever you want to, reach down, pick up one silver dollar. If you get it wrong... You're not Messiah. But if you get it right, you are. And you understand based on those eight prophecies, still 43 more, 45 more, based on those eight prophecies, Jesus stepped out of the helicopter, reached down, grabbed the red one, said, see, I told you who I was. That's how incredible the odds are that any one person could ever fulfill just eight of the prophecies. All right, let, let me do another one. You guys are slow. All right. If you take the population of the earth for all time, evolutionists will try to tell us, okay, and the reason I say try to tell us is because as Christians, we probably believe the earth is a little bit younger than evolutionists tell us, but evolutionists want to say that humans have been on the earth for 3.5 million years. Th I'm sorry, thousand thousand years, 315,000 years. In that time that there have been 180 billion people on the earth. Okay, so in other words, there have been human beings, as evolution went along, human beings formed about 315,000 years ago, about 180 billion people have ever lived on the earth. Here's how big the odds are that a human being randomly born, just by chance born, would fulfill even the eight prophecies. The earth would have to exist 10,000 more times 
in order for one person to accidentally fulfill those eight prophecies, which ought to leave you and me with just absolute, utter confidence that when scripture speaks, when it says, this is what's gonna happen, this is what, that you just go, oh, it's true. Because it is absolutely unfathomable that by accident, it could come true a hundred percent of the time. I love this. I love, I love when people will say to Christians, hey, uh, you know, I don't believe the Bible because of all of its inconsistencies and mistakes. And the problem is you and I, when they say that as Christians, we go, oh. Hey, the next time someone says to you, I don't believe the Bible because of all its inconsistencies and mistakes, do this. Because you realize they're bluffing, right? You realize it's just a total bluff. So next time they say, I don't believe the Bible because of all its inconsistencies and mistakes, just say to them, hey, uh, which one bothers you? Because uh, you can't find one, guys. Because it's the word of God that is 100% true 100% of the time. Even in prophecy. Let, let me give you one last one. You and I can have confidence about what Revelation is about to teach us because Jesus said that scripture is always true. All the time. Grab your Bibles one last time. Go with me to Matthew chapter five. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, start breaking the left, you're gonna find Matthew chapter five. And, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are going, well, I mean, it's nice that Jesus said that the Bible's accurate and true, but I, I, don't, I don't know if that means a whole lot to me. Because wasn't he like obligated to say the Bible was true? Here's what I want you to think about. If there's a guy who can predict their own death, and that may not be too amazing because we're all going to die, right? But then can predict that I will be in the grave for three days. And then, oh, by the way, after three days, I'm going to do something that no human being before me has ever done and no human being after me has ever done because it's impossible and I'm going to raise from the dead. And then he does it? I'm just thinking that guy knows something I don't know. He's probably smarter than me. I mean, think about this guy. He predicts his own death, tells us how long he's going to be in the grave, and then does something that is absolutely humanly impossible to do, and then 500 people are eyewitnesses and see him after his resurrection. He probably knows. All right, let me see if this helps. The Cardinals are going to play the Rams on Monday night. I'm going to ask you to prophesy. I, I just want you to predict. Do your best guess. What's going to be the final score of the Rams-Cardinals game? And here's what we'll do. I'll make you a bet. And I'm not a betting man. I'll make you a bet. You predict the final score of the Rams and the Cardinals game on Monday night. I'll give you 10,000 bucks. But if you don't get it right, you give me 10,000 bucks. Come on, raise your hand, because if you're willing to do that, I'm going to see you after service. <laughs> right now, I'm in on this one. You know why you're not raising your hand? Because you go, those odds are crazy. 
I mean, I, I, what is that? The odds would be like, what, maybe 10,000 to one or something? I, I, that'd be right. But guys, think about this. You've already seen the Cardinals play all year. You've already seen the Rams play. They've played each other twice. The number of scores that are possible are fairly limited. There's only 60 minutes in the game, and you can only score sevens and threes and twos. You could make a reasonably good educated guess. Why won't you do that? Because the odds are too high. Tell me the odds of a man who can stand there and say, I'm going to die, I'll be in the grave three days, and then I will come back to life and you can all see me. And when he says, the Bible is true, I'm inclined to believe him. Here's what Jesus said about the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Jesus speaking here, and here's what he says. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, the smallest letter or the least stroke of the pen will by, will by, any, mean, will by any means disappear until everything is accomplished. Think about what Jesus said. It is more likely that the that earth would cease to exist and that all of the universe would fade away. That's more likely then one thing in scripture, the smallest stroke of the pen, ever be found to be untrue. Pretty high endorsement. And what Jesus just sat there in that moment and said, all of us who claim to be followers and believe Jesus, this is right 100% of the time. It's more likely that the earth would stop rotating around the sun and the stars would all go dark, then one word of this be false. That's Jesus' endorsement. The guy who comes back from the dead's endorsement of Scripture, which is why when we start unpacking Revelation in the next few day, weeks together, you can have 100% confidence, as weird as it starts to sound and as confusing, and go, I, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just telling you that when that, that is going to happen exactly like Scripture says. And when it happens, they're going to go, oh, that's exactly what Revelation 9 meant. Because it's 100% true 100% of the time. Jesus doesn't stop there. And maybe this is the most important thing we could have said to each other today. It's what Jesus says next. It's verse 19. Jesus said, because this is true... Therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. So someone who goes, look, look, look. The Bible's pretty old, right? And, 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 and I know it said that I should, but he, he really meant other people. He didn't mean that I should do that. Or you know what the truth is? I, I just don't feel like it. You know, maybe when I'm older, or maybe, I, maybe I'll do it then. He who sets aside the least of these commands will be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. Because they'll live their life the way their neighbors live their lives. They'll live their lives the way they see on television or the internet. And they'll miss the wonder of what God had for them. It'll be a least life when you ignore scripture. And then Jesus goes on. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great 
in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever hears a verse and goes, man, I, I don't like that verse at all, but because God said it, I guess I'll do it. And, and that thing I just read, in, it just sounds old fashioned, sounds out of date. But God said it was more likely that the earth would pass away before that would become antiquated and wrong. So I guess I'll lean in. I guess I'll obey. And Jesus said, that person, that person will be great in the kingdom. Their life will be different than their neighbors. Their marriages will be different than their neighbors. Their kids will be different. Because they followed this. You realize what Jesus is saying. If scripture is 100% right, 100% of the time, then when you and I disobey scripture, when we disregard scripture, we are being foolish 100% of the time. Let me say that again. If scripture is 100% right, then when I ignore scripture, I'm being foolish 100% of the time. So let me just ask this question. What is it that you've heard someone teach? You've read for yourself and you just said, no, no. And you've discounted the word of God. You, you said, I think I'm smarter than that. I think I understand relationships better than that. I think I understand finances better than that. No you realize Jesus just said on every occasion 100% of the time when you and I ignore this our life is less let's pray hey dear Lord Jesus man thank you thank you that when we go back and read the prophecies of the Old Testament you didn't just fulfill the eight you fulfilled all 53 and, and that the possibility, the probability that is non-existent. It, it couldn't possibly happen unless you are exactly who you said you are. The Son of God come to earth to take away our sins. And God, we stand here today thanking you that you have provided that absolutely unshakable confidence because it is humanly impossible that what was prophesied of old would come true in you if you weren't who you said you were. But God, help us to have that same confidence about what hasn't happened yet. As we dig into Revelation, that we would go in saying, it is weird and I, I don't understand exactly what that creature is all about. All I know is when it happens, it'll be exactly what the Bible said would happen. God, I pray for us in the room that maybe we've read parts of scripture maybe we've heard a sermon and we just thought to ourselves ah would you prick our hearts right now because you told us that anyone who discounts the bible who refuses to obey lives a lesser life they're least in the kingdom you said and that everyone who chooses when they hear the word of god even though they may not even agree in their hearts but simply choose to obey, their life is always better. And God, I ask you that you make us a people 
who absolutely love and relish the Word of God. Not just because we know it, but because we live it in our lives. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, just before we uh, leave today, I want to encourage you, if you heard that message to say, man, I just, before I leave, I would love someone to pray with me. want to let you know that we've got a prayer team down front. If you're watching online, you can simply text the word prayer to 21999. But with that being said, Cornerstone, thank you so much for joining us for worship this weekend. And we look forward to seeing you next weekend. Have a great week. <laughs>